I don't work a day in my life, even though I am constantly at work. So it's like a lifestyle now. So, um, and it's, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, as I said, 12 years at Millbrook has, yeah, it's, put, it's, it's shaped me to be exactly who I am right now. This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. After building a career in some of Australia's best kitchens, Guy Jeffries began growing produce at home to sustain his own family. That deeper connection to produce led to a yearning to create that exact model in a commercial setting. Growing produce, connecting with hyper-local producers and delivering the fruits of the land on a daily changing menu. Guy, you've got this um, amazing sort of paddock or garden to plate ethos. So where, where did that come from and where did it begin? So, well, I've been uh, growing vegetables at home for a long time uh, with my wife. We've got a couple of well, adults now. So, uh, yeah, for over 20 years, we've always had a garden in our backyard. And I was working, you know, back in the day, working at some of the, the best restaurants around in WA. And we were just getting these crappy vegetables, like beautiful produce of everything, except we couldn't get these amazing heirloom vegetables like I was growing in my backyard. So our backyard was feeding our family of four, like we weren't buying anything. Um, we were just eating seasonal veggies out of that. And I thought, I need to find a restaurant that has room for a big backyard, a big backyard vegetable patch. And I'm just going to do what I'm doing at home, but on a larger scale. So now, you know, instead of growing four cauliflower, we, you know, we grow 104. So, um, but yeah, it's the same ethos as backyard gardening. Uh, it's just on a larger scale. We, we don't have any, you know, um, the only equipment that we have apart from our hands and a, and a pitchfork is, uh, we, we use like a, a rotary hoe that's the size of a lawnmower, um, to turn the, the big long rows and yeah, everything's picked by hand. Everything's planted by hand. Uh, everything's, grown from seed and the majority of that is seed that we've saved from the previous year's crop. You, you also have a really deep connection with producers of the, the region. Um, do you have any stories of the connections that you have with, with farmers and the, the role they play with what you do? Yeah, so we, we went, that was probably the hardest part of the job was finding like-minded small-scale producers um, with a similar ethos to what we have where it's, you know, like heritage breeds and um, like, because we do the heirloom vegetables, so, you know, heritage breeds of animals and um, and we buy everything in whole, so just like the vegetables come from, you know, root to shoot and we use the whole thing. We like to practice that ethos with our animals as well. So uh, a lot of our producers are delivering the product themselves to us as well, uh, to, to the back door. So that that's the that was probably the hardest part of the job was to find those producers um and we've got it from all levels uh, of you know meat cheese all that sort of stuff everything that's not fruit and vegetables obviously do you, do you have a story or connection that you have with a pig farmer from the region and, and you know what's fostered from that relationship yeah so to buy the best pigs you know like you, you got to buy a whole you got to buy a whole pig i, I don't want to be one of those people that rings up and goes I need a hundred chops you know what I mean so um so 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 again so to start with just to get the that animal uh to get the best 
product. We need to, to go with the whole animal. And over the years, I've been at Millbrook for a while now, so over the years uh, we've uh, only had two people that we've used for pork. So um, the one we're currently using is Linton and he's in Beverly, about an hour and a half inland from, from uh, Millbrook. And he's purebred Berkshire, uh, amazing, tasty pigs, super consistent and delicious. Uh, and, you know, like, we don't do anything to Everyone goes, oh, my God, this pork's so amazing. And it's, what have you done to it? And it's like, oh, we put a bit of salt on it and cooked it. Um, and then the other guy that we uh, use for the... Um, uh, you know, for a long time as well, was James down in Jindong, and he's got a bit of a motley crew. The uh, you know, just like all sorts of breeds over each other. But um, but yeah, we were using him for quite a while as well. And uh, once again, sensational pork. Don't have to do anything to it except treat it with respect. How do you utilise the whole beast? Can you can you take us through the program there and and how you get. Um, use out of every sort of element of the whole pig? Yeah, so with our menu is very vague. It's sort of this morning's vegetables with today's cut of pork. And then um, it's just is what it is. And then the, you know, the, the, the floor staff will, will tell the customer today's cut of pork is. Um, so yeah, and, and we treat each cut differently. So, uh, you know, like we might roast a leg or we'll, um, and we'll braise the shoulder and we'll serve a little bit of that of each of those on the plate. Uh, we might do a pork chop, um, but then, you know, like the weekends are obviously a busier service than on a weekday. So we'll uh, more than likely like turn the midsection into a porchetta. So that it was like a nice roast and then pull it out at, you know, 12 o'clock and let it rest. And when the first main's coming through, it's just slicing put it on the plate with something that we've picked from the garden. And then, uh, and then we also do a thing called No Waste Monday, um, which is uh, like a little thing we do uh, where it's sort of uh, whatever's left from our busy week service uh, on Sunday. Uh, we'll, all the chefs will get together and we'll go through, okay, I've got this left on each section. And then we'll make a menu up for each table to utilise everything that's left. Uh, so when we go on our days off on Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, there's nothing left in the cool room. And then we come back on Thursday and start again. Well, what sort of dishes are created with this sort of no waste Monday sort of uh, project that you have? Uh, well, it changes all the time. So it's, it's good for the chefs to trial things out or, um, you know, like, like try, try something. You know, we had some, we had some leftover bread and some buttermilk, uh, so, you know, I'll, I'm just talking about this week just gone. So we made a bread of masseau, you know, use the buttermilk instead of mascarpone and we used the bread instead of making this, like the fingers, uh, just had a play with it. It was, it was great. Um, it's not going to make the menu, but you know, everyone enjoyed it on the day. Um, and yeah, so essentially you get like three sort of starters and then there'll be a, a seafood or a, um, like pasta or risotto or something dish and then there'll be a meat a main course meat dish with with sides and it's just all shared in the middle of the table so uh yeah it's a it's a winner for everyone it's 50 bucks and it's um it's good for the bottom line it's good for the customer it's good for the chefs and the floor staff uh we get quite a bit of hospo coming in on that day we chose that monday obviously because you know most restaurants are shut um, and it seems to be going all right. There's about a three-month wait list to get in on a Monday in the middle of Jaredale, so we're pretty proud of our Mondays. It's extraordinary. 
Where did where did the interest in food begin for you? What was it like in your family as a kid? Yeah, I grew up on a farm in Yumundi, um when I was like young, up until about seven, I think. So you know, we had chickens and cows and veggies and stuff like that. Um, and I suppose I don't really remember much of it, but it, when I when I got into cooking, started my apprenticeship and that. Um, it sort of it, it, it sort of came back on me, and now that I'm uh, like a you know running places, um, you know it's come back, and and I and I think that it was like uh, it's, it's like the garden, you know, like a seed was planted when I was a little kid, and it it sort of just came back and all happened again. Take us back to those first few years when you were doing your your apprenticeship. Uh, do you have any stories of that time and sort of the the road that you travelled to become a chef? Yeah, I was I was um, fifteen when I started my apprenticeship. I was doing okay at school. I was you know I was getting B's or whatever, and you know I wasn't bad at school. But I was I was a surfer, and I I used to surf before school, after school, and all day on weekends. And a friend of mine, his older brother, was doing uh, a chef a cooking apprenticeship, and he would just surf all day and 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 work at night. And I thought, all right, this is it. This is the, this is this is it. It's the ticket, you know. Um, and uh, so yeah, so my sponsor at the time knew a head chef um, in Noosa on Hastings Street, and I was like, "Bam, I'm in the water, and then I'm at work. This is going to work out amazing." Um, you know, so I was 15 years old. I finished year 10 on Friday, moved out of home Saturday, started my apprenticeship on Monday, and I soon realised uh, that there wasn't much time for surfing so where I was working was a, a busy little uh, sort of bistro style um, seven day lunch dinner and split shifts were uh, like a sit down and eat something in the Arvo um, so yeah I still I still kept getting the boards off off, off my sponsor and, and just selling them so I could make ends meet you know on an apprentice wage back then um, but I fell in love with food and and the and the team and the, the like the people and the energy around me so it was fine uh i just i just immersed myself into that world from then on who who were some of the real big influences or mentors or venues for you as you built your career that's helped shape uh who you are as a chef uh well yeah there's obviously pivotal people um throughout your career and uh, the the chefs when i was at at uh as an apprentice um they were you know being 15 years 16 years old and looking up to these you know mid young 20 year olds uh and and getting them to take you under their wing was was very inspirational and sort of set me on the the path and then moving through as i was going through sous chef positions trying to find a style and uh you know something for when i was a head chef of of doing so you know i worked at lewin estate with scott spicer at star and east with david coomer and um duende with justin peters and at duende uh, at devito with um jason yunovich uh, so they were they were the guys that were in charge of the kitchens and they're pretty much all you know most of them were owner operated and um, so yeah, just working with them through my career uh, just put me onto finding what I wanted to do, and you know I had a click in my head as I said before about just growing some veggies, and that would be my shtick. And um, so yeah, that's what I do now. 
Well, all those people that you mentioned have had amazing influence and very different styles. Did you, did you take different lessons from experiences with them? Yeah, and I sought out those jobs as well, you know, like um, I wanted to experience all different things. So, you know, I wanted to experience Lewin, I wanted, you know, I wanted to experience the, the winery, uh, Star Anise, I wanted to, to, you know, see what fine dining was. I wanted to do tapas at Duendo, I wanted to do Italian at, um, at DeVito. And then coming out of that, I thought, you know, I had a young family through all this, all, all those years, and I thought, well, you know, wineries are good because they've got nights off. I said we do a heap of weddings um, and it's got the land for the veggies so yeah that's that's where I sort of put my focus and it took me a couple of years to find to find Millbrook um, so yeah but then when I found it you know I was pretty green it was my first head chef job and I had all these great ideas and then when I started doing it I was like bloody hell this is this is a bit of work and but I just put my head down my bum up and um, what is it now 12 years later in loving it well, tell us about some of the challenges and, and what surprised you about growing vegetables on that scale for a commercial operation as opposed to what you were doing at home. Uh, I, learnt, I learnt not to waste things, um, you know, like beetroots come with leaves, like make sure you're using the leaves, you know, stuff like that. Um, I learned a hell of a lot on the job. It's easy to grow stuff at home, but um, you know, I also learned that a failed crop is, uh, <laughs> you know, like it's um, detrimental to to feeding the customers every week. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, I just started. You know, we just started growing weird and wonderful things and uh, trialing things. Some things work, some things don't, and just learning to work. You know, mother, with Mother Nature because she's the boss, and you know, because we don't use whatever like polytunnels or hydro or any of that sort of stuff it's all open pollinated out in the in the real world in the real season um so just getting to know mother nature was um probably you know the the biggest uh lesson to learn if you want to succeed it's summer at the moment and i know that your menu changes so much and it's very interactive with the garden and local producers but do you have a couple of dishes or that you can tell us about that you have on the menu at the moment that sort of typifies what you do uh, yeah, what are we doing? Um, well, we've, there's a 90-year-old orchard it's at Millbrook. It's originally what the place was, an, was a working orchard um, before it was bought by the Fogarty's and the vines were planted 30-something years ago. So plums, <laughs> there's a lot of them. Uh, we've got lots of different varieties. So, you know, for example, like if, if you don't like plums, now's this week's, you know, this month's probably not a good time to come. Um, um. You know, we've 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 got them as we've got them raw with some um, like uh, ceviche sort of style fish or a tartare fish or whatever, um, and then we've got them uh, so that's like your entree sort of deal. And then in the mains, you know, we're serving them with with some um, with some duck at the moment. Actually, we're going to probably change it to pork next week. Some um, uh, some plums with pork because the corn's uh, probably getting picked on Monday, and we'll do some corn and and pork and um, plums and then they're on the dessert as well just in a different guise and then they're on the preserve shelf downstairs as jam we've got a big ferment barbecue plum sauce in the fridge for later on um, so yeah just just uh, utilizing them everywhere because that's what we we have and then you know like the the autumn fruit's only just starting uh, so we've got a few eggplants and a you know the zucchinis are finishing we've got some tomatoes left and it's sort of 
first first paprikas are coming on it's like okay well you know we've got to feed 350 people plus this week so let's just do a sort of a bitzer you know so well caponata beautiful that that take that takes care of that so um yeah just just working with what you have and we don't really look back at what we did last year or last week even uh it's just sort of um this is what the garden's given us what what are we going to make you know for example in winter the garlic's in the ground so you know it's not like we follow a recipe go i need one garlic and three onions uh it's sort of just here's here's what we got make it tasty take us inside the kitchen and and with the chefs you've been involved in so many uh different restaurants and in different brigades what's life like in your kitchen for for your chefs uh hopefully awesome uh i think they love it they've been they've all been there a while i have an amazing um so the the head chef down at bunkers vince conjurts he's like and uh, and then jamie hambrough is the head chef at millbrook and i'm pretty lucky to i might be a bit biased but i reckon they're the best chefs in wa so um you know working with them um in in you know like they, they're running the kitchen every day and and you know it's just sort of my role's more of a mentor and a um and a and a communication of you know seasonal and just a, you know a bit of my knowledge going to them um and then and then i've got elliot neil who's um our gardener he used to work in the kitchen but um he loves coming i make all the I used to make all the chefs come down the garden. We'll still do make them all go down every Thursday so that they've got a bit of hands-on and appreciation. Um, but he loved it. And so, you know, as we got busier and, and I stepped into this new role of overseeing a couple of restaurants, then, um, yeah, took Elliot out of the kitchen and he's now the full-time gardener. So working with those three guys and the restaurant manager and the venue managers and, and, and uh, you know, just watching them uh, guide the team under them is it's uh, it's a shift for for me obviously um, as a as I used to be the chef and the gardener um, and letting go of that um, was hard um, at the beginning and it still is a little bit like you know, they can't get me out of the kitchen or the garden but um, <laughs> but I, I you know I've uh, to to step back and and just help and mentor those guys um, through what's happening and making sure it all comes together uh, is is a, a great new um, role and a, a, and a great feeling and uh, sort of like a step in uh, in my career that I'm really glad that I got offered that opportunity by the Fogarty's. This connection that you've created with from garden to plate and uh, this incredible sort of offering that you have now, has that changed you? Yeah, definitely. Um, just, yeah, just seeing the seasons and um, having... Uh, an educated guess at what's about to happen if everything goes to plan um, and just an understanding uh, it's not just for the vegetables but for everything um, in the in the kitchen as well you know like you know like getting whole pigs in and, and whole fish and all that sort of stuff and treating that with the respect that that we treat the the vegetables with um, is has you know changed me as a chef and then as a person uh it's it's completely changed me uh, like i live on the property at millbrook and i don't work a day in my life even though i am constantly at work so it's like a lifestyle now so um and it's yeah it's yeah 
as I said, 12 years at Millbrook has, yeah, it's put, it's it's shaped me to be exactly who I am right now. You mentioned the importance of respecting, say, a whole peak when it when it comes in and utilising as many parts as possible. Can you can you pick a, a, a cut or two and take us through sort of how you treat it and, and cook it? Yeah, so, um, uh, I mean, crackling is, you know, it's a good name for a podcast. So it's my, fa- <laughs> it's, it's my favourite cut <laughs> as well. Um, so, yeah, just like when we get the pigs in there, you know, they're at least 10 days on the hook before we, uh, you know, drying out the skin so that we can achieve that perfect crackle every time. Um, <clears throat> And then probably, uh, so Jamie, uh, the head chef at Millbrook, he, he introduced me to this amazing um, thing uh, when he started a few years ago, uh, and it's, uh, it's a, a smoked and whipped pork fat. So essentially it's like a Chianti butter, but um, you just get the fat, smoke it and render it, and then chill it and then whip it, and it turns into just like this meringue, I suppose, and you just... Put a knob, you know, put a spoonful of that into anything that's not vegan or vego, and um, <clears throat> just lifts it right up. And then we're, we're going to do, you know, COVID hit the pork star Perth event, but we even trialed uh, as when we were coming up with the menu for that with um, Mel and Evan, we Jamie and uh, trialed turning it into because because I said it's like a meringue, right? It looks like a meringue, so we put a bit of sugar syrup in as it was, didn't smoke it, just rendered it, put a bit of sugar syrup in, gave it some flavour, and then it piped like a meringue and tasted like, um, like you know, the sugar syrup with the flavours that you put in there. Um, so, yeah, we were basing a dish around that, and um, I was like, yeah, that's pretty different. Do you have any advice for the best way to, to cook pork? I mean, you're dealing with every sort of element of the whole pig and you know, do you need to be mindful of treating it differently? Uh, yeah, just our food is all about flavour from the from the paddock or the dirt. You know, like you hear winemakers say the wine was made in the in the vineyard. You know, so our our food's made in the farms, really. So we try to do as little as possible. We just, you know, we don't use fancy cooking techniques and stuff like that. Uh, you know, everything's either, you know, it's 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 tradi- like classic cooking. There's no sous vide machine or any of that sort of stuff. Um, so it's just wholesome and real. And and if you start with the best product and just make sure it's got a bit of, you know, some perfect seasoning on it. Um, uh, to me, that is the best way to cook. That's how we do it. You know, like our food is vegetable centric it's not vegetarian like our food is pretty much you know it's a vegetable dish and then we put the best piece of meat um that we can get from around us next to it with you know just just cooked generously and wholesomely you've you've built an amazing um reputation for what you do there and that connection that you've created um what, what do you love about what you do oh i love getting up in the morning, letting the chooks out, having a look around the garden, you know, the team that's a, that's around, um, you know, just like vibing off of them and, and um, watching and helping and working with them to achieve, you know, our end goal of, um, you know, the customers enjoying, enjoying our hard work. And then, yeah, might have to do a meeting or something in the Arvo with head office and, Grab a wine, put the chooks away, and 
go see my wife. So <laughs> you, you've um, created sort of your dream um, job in a way. What, what sort of advice would you have for many in the industry about fulfilling their dream and the sort of avenues to make it happen like you have? Uh, just find yourself something that you really enjoy and just don't give up on that dream just keep you know it's going to get hard you know obviously the early days are super hard um, and even the latter days like now still hard but just just still believing in that dream and remembering um, the, the you know that, that that goal that you have uh, that you had however long ago or what if you're creating it now and um, yeah just surround yourself with like-minded people and just just go for it and, and, and don't give up. You know, listen uh, to criticism, but, um, you know, just, just keep, keep trying to uh, better yourself and, and, for, uh, and for the people around you and, and just enjoy it. Just, yeah, just, just do it. Just get up and live and have fun. Well, Guy, it's incredible what you've created there and uh, it's been an honour to chat today on The Crackling and hear just a little bit of your story. Um, please keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Thanks so much for the opportunity. It's been great uh, hanging out and, and uh, yeah, having a chat. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.